You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Seahawks Insider Podcast. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seahawks, alongside John Boyle of Seahawks.com. Hello, John. Hello, Jen. How are you? I am well. I'm starting to get into the Christmas spirit. The tree is up at the house. Christmas carols are playing almost nonstop on my car radio. Well, that's good. We're, we're getting that going at home, too. The, the little daughter isn't dancing to the Christmas music every night, so that's fun. Okay. Yeah. And not only does it mean that Christmas is right around the corner, but it means that the Seahawks are in the stretch run of the regular season, which we know they excel at. But before we jump into that, a couple of questions that come to mind. And the first one, I think, John, is where are we at? Meaning, where are the Seahawks at right now? And I'm, I'm kind of looking at that coming off of that game against Carolina. Yeah, I, I think they're in a really good place. I, I think we talked about this last week with the Tampa game. There's a lot of people concerned, understandably. It, it was pretty ugly. The offense didn't really function very well. But what we kind of said then and what I feel a lot stronger about now, obviously after the Carolina game, is that really just felt like one bad game. And when you look at the three-game winning streak that led up to that, how well they played at New England, which was a really impressive win on a short week, what to the point was probably their most complete game of the season and a win over Philly – then they have the clunker, and then they play an even better game than the Philly game against the Panthers. Really dominant on both sides of the ball. I just, I, I really like the a the way they're playing, but b the way they're playing, knowing that this is a team that always tends to get it in high gear at the end of the season. And really, we're probably just starting to see them hit their stride. Well, and you talk about the turnaround that they had from Tampa to Carolina. And I think that there was a lot of different factors at play. Certainly, it's not easy to make a cross-country trip, but they're not going to use that as an excuse. But when you look at the offense producing a season-low 245 yards in Tampa, and then you go a full 180 and you record a season-high 534 against Carolina, that's not just oh, man, we just barely figured something out. That is a complete shift in what you're doing and the results that you're getting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that was obviously an extreme, and you can't expect 240 rushing yards every week. But I do think that was closer to what this offense really is than what we saw the week before in the previous few games really backed that up. And the fact that they actually, even against Tampa, they ran the ball a little bit. And the, the fact that their running game is going strong these last few weeks, they're over six yards of carry in the last three games again, including that Tampa loss. So the, they're running the ball is a big deal for this offense. We saw them kind of function without running the ball, but when they're really at their best, it's when they have that balance. And it just it's, to me, really encouraging for what they can be down the stretch. And isn't it funny that just a few weeks ago, we were contemplating what it would look like to be in the playoffs and have, you know, a rushing attack that was averaging about 84 yards a game. And we were looking at scenarios of, man, how could you control time of possession or get the defense off the field yeah. a little bit? And as it turns out, when you get back to what this team is really built to do, yeah, it, they're pretty good. Uh, yeah, and it, I think we're seeing a couple of factors. The biggest one is Thomas Rawls being back, Russell Wilson being healthy. That offensive line is starting to come together. Again, we keep saying this, but Tampa Bay game notwithstanding, the line has shown a lot of improvement in the last month. So all those factors, 
all of a sudden this offense goes from, you know, do they have an identity crisis? Are they now a passing team to, okay, hey, they can run the ball really well again and be balanced, and that's what they do best. And now when you look back, you kind of look at that and say, no, they were just weathering the storm. Exactly. They were they were doing the best they could with what they had at the time. And what we saw against Carolina was the largest margin of victory by the Seahawks since the Super Bowl win over Denver. That was also the last time they scored 40 points. The last time that happened in the regular season was week 11 versus the Vikings. And, of course, that time of possession also helped the Seahawks defense, who was only on the field for about 58 snaps, which feels like a, a walk like in a the park. like a half of a game for them I know. This year. Yeah. I know. And so we know kind of where the Seahawks are at right now. And I guess the next question is, where are they going? When you look at the final stretch, where does this mean they're going? Well, uh, most likely they're going to the postseason. They actually could clinch a playoff berth this week, depending on what happens in their game and Arizona's game. But more importantly than you know the playoff scenarios and how that all shakes out is they just look like they're doing what they tend to do under Pete Carroll, which is get better as the season goes on. They're they're thirty two and seven after November under Pete Carroll, and. There's no reason to think, based on what we've seen and what we know about these players, and I mean, Russell Wilson has like 106 passer rating in December in his career. I mean, this is just Pete Carroll loves to preach finishing, and that's what they've been doing these last four or five years, and it looks like they're doing it again. But I'm so curious as to why other teams don't have the same emphasis when they see that it's worked so well in Seattle. Yeah, and the message has been consistent. I think. I mean. Big picture, I think there's a lot of what the Seahawks do that might seem pretty simple when you just say it. It's impl- it's actually putting it into play and getting it right where you don't just talk about being a good finishing team, but figure out how to actually do it. You don't just talk about always compete, but you really do compete to the point that right now your roster has more undrafted players than drafted players. 27 undrafted free agents right now out of 53. It there's a, again there's there's a big difference between just talking about it and doing it and that's why I think Pete Carroll's more of an open book than a lot of coaches and I think it's because he realizes you know I don't care if people know how we do things because I don't think it can be replicated and that's I think part of what makes him such a good coach and yeah it's it's hard to just say okay we're gonna finish strong and then do it but they figured out a way and I I honestly couldn't tell you all the reasons I think some of it might be they don't maybe go as hard on players and practice as some teams so guys are a little fresher. I think more than anything, it might just be a mindset thing, though. You hear guys kind of repeat what Pete Carroll says about, you know, doing it longer and better than your opponent, just outlasting your opponent, basically. A lot of that just comes down to will, and this team's figured that out. Well, I think that is kind of my number one on why does this work, is that the players have bought into this. You know, they, they are the ones actually driving the ship. Pete gives the message, but it's the players in the locker room who are bringing kind of those new guys in who have watched it from afar mm-hmm. but don't really understand what that means yeah. on a day-to-day basis. And I think the second part of that, if I had to opine for a minute as to why this works um, – it's that Pete truly believes what he's saying and his actions follow that. I'd add discipline to the mix because, again, I don't think, and I've said this a number of times over the years, I don't think people understand the discipline it takes to do exactly what you're saying. Not just say the words, but follow through on the actions every day. Yeah. And what I, I thought was interesting with Pete when he talked about those undrafted free agents that were on the roster. 
He was super stoked, yeah, He, like, gave man. a fist pump when yeah. I asked that question. He, like, pumped his fist about it. And, and I thought his answer to that, when you go, well, why was, why was that your reaction? I thought that was very interesting, and it shows that Pete really believes the way the team is built. Yeah. And just going back for a second to what you just said about discipline, I, that might be the biggest misconception from the outside of Pete Carroll as a coach is you see the enthusiasm – you go back to his USC days of, you know, the pranks and the celebrities on the sideline. And people think that element of fun means you're not disciplined. You don't lead the league in scoring defense for five straight years. You don't play good run defense. You don't consistently limit big plays, not turn the ball over. All these things they do that are part of their formula without being incredibly disciplined. And it's it's just kind of always been an interesting, we're off topic now, but it's just been a really interesting dynamic to me about Pete Carroll's teams is people just think it's this loose, goofy, fun environment, but everything they do backs up that it's a very disciplined group as well. But I don't think it's off topic because I think it goes back to the ability to finish and what this team has done because it would be so easy for guys like Richard Sherman or Cam Chancellor or Russell Wilson, guys who have success in the league and have been on, you know, kind of the role to just say we got this. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't need to do the same thing. I don't have to take all those reps in practice. You know, I can kind of switch it up cuz now I have earned the right to not play special teams or whatever it is. No, I I think that it's very much on topic because this is the time of year that that discipline pays off. For sure. Um, I want to go back to that question that you were asking Pete about those undrafted free agents and this I think really speaks to Pete's belief and just every fiber of his being as to why that works for them. Because, again, I think other teams would tell you, yeah, hey, man, we love it. We love it if they're contributing. But there's something that Pete likes about that mindset that they bring. Yeah, it's kind of like he said, they have that kind of underdog gritty mindset of it was interesting the way he phrased it. I like what he said is we don't think of them that way because they, they truly do. Once a guy's in the building, whether he was a first, second round pick or an undrafted guy, they're going to let it play out on the field the same, but they do know that that guy remembers that he got undrafted or that he, Richard Sherman knows the name of every cornerback drafted ahead of him in the 2011 draft, Doug Baldwin, enormous chip on his shoulder. And that, that works for some guys doesn't work for everybody, but for some players, that's a real factor. And it's part of the makeup of this team of, for all the success they've had, you still have a lot of guys who have that sort of slighted underdog mentality. And, you know, whether on the outside you want to believe them or not, if it works for them, it's a part of this team. And I wonder how much maybe Stephen Terrell feels that this week. Oh, yeah. not, not that he's not a talented player, but all he's, he's hearing is, oh, my God, the Seahawks are doomed without Earl Thomas. And, oh, my gosh, you're going to get picked on by Aaron Rodgers on Sunday, which is certainly a storyline that has picked up. A lot of attention nationally. Yeah, and understandably. I mean, A, Aaron Rodgers is the kind of quarterback who will take his shots no matter who's back there. But you got to figure they're going to look at, okay, let's let's see what this guy can do and test him out. But um, the, the Seahawks are very confident in Stephen Terrell. He's, it, it helps that he's played. This isn't a guy who – Earl Thomas didn't get hurt in the fourth quarter of the last game, and now Stephen Terrell's first real playing time is against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. He played basically half of one game, started the next game, played more than half of the last game. So they like it, and he's been here a while. He knows the system really well, really good athlete. I mean, he's not going to be Earl Thomas. That's not fair to ask of anyone because Earl Thomas is one of the best players in the NFL, not best safety. He's one of the best players. So it's not, you know, you can't just assume it's going to look exactly the same, but they're really confident in what they're going to get out of him. 
Well, and I think the other thing to understand, too, is you're right. He is not going to be the same, but he has not only been in the Seahawks system, but he's been in meeting rooms with that entire secondary. You know, we talk about the importance of communication on the field during the game, and that is absolutely something that they need to lock down and be on the same page with. And when you lose a guy like Earl – you also need to increase some of that communication because that those nonverbal cues are not going to be the same. But they have still been in the same meeting rooms. Yeah. You, you don't these guys don't just start talking a different way on Sunday. They talk the same way in the meeting rooms that they do on the practice field. And Stephen Terrell has been there the entire time yeah. for the last couple for of three, years. Yeah, three seasons he's been here. He know and he's obviously he's practiced it a ton. He knows that system as well as just about anybody there. So I think the biggest thing you touch on is the communication side is and he, he talked about this yesterday, is like, you know, Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas can look at each other and know what the other's thinking and okay, we got it. He's gonna actually he and Cam are gonna actually have to have that conversation. But I, I really don't think this is gonna be some huge factor where they go from being you know the number one scoring defense to giving up thirty points a game down the stretch. I just I I think that defense around him is too good for one any one player, no matter who it is, to make that big a difference if they're gone. And B, I just I really think Stephen Terrell's ready to kind of come in and do his thing. And if you take a look at the defense as a whole, I, I think you're still pretty set. Exactly. It's not you know this isn't losing your one great player on a mediocre defense who makes all the difference in the world. This is a great player on a defense full of them, and you've got at all three levels. This is not just, okay, now the secondary's got a hole in it, and that was your only good unit, and you're going to get exposed. I mean, they've got a ton of talent out there. And aren't you just a little curious and excited to see if he can burst onto the scene the same way that some of these other exactly. Seahawks Exactly. I mean, you, you hate to lose anybody, but you, Pete Carroll, he gets legitimately excited when these things come up. Not Believe me, he would. He would love to have Earl Thomas out there every play of every game. Of course. But there's a part of him, too, that when these guys get an opportunity, whether it was Joey Hunt a couple weeks ago or Nico Thorpe or whoever, it's just getting to see what you have, let them get that experience. And, you know, they always talk about this will help you down the road. Well, guess what? They needed Terrell a couple weeks ago. He got that experience. Now he's going to be called on to do a lot, and he's going to be better for having played. Yeah, and now this is the the down-the-road scenario that they needed. Let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball for the Seahawks before we take a look at the Packers here. Um, Offensively, you mentioned those ground yards that they have managed to get the last couple of days. I look at this matchup. I look at Lambeau. I don't look at this as a bad weather game necessarily. I think it's probably going to be pretty favorable conditions, all things considered, Green Bay in December. Probably yeah. some snow, but I don't think you're looking at blizzard weather, rain, sleet. There's Negative a lot worse six. things. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's a lot we've, worse. We've seen worse. And yet I still look at this and think, as long as you have got the ability to run the ball and control time of possession, you'll be okay in this one. Yeah, and that's when you go back to the, the, the philosophical side of why Pete Carroll wants to be balanced. It's games like this where it could be a factor, and he talks about that as – you don't want to be so reliant on your passing game that if you catch uh, a team that's really good at stopping the pass and you have no run game or you catch a bad weather game where it's hard to throw the ball, that's why you want to be able to do both. And as you said, I don't think it's going to be some horrible conditions, but it could be a little slick. The field could be slippery. The ball could be cold. And all those things, if you can just get that run game going and be a little bit balanced, I think they're going to be fine. And I, I think – 
what you saw against Carolina, I really liked those rushing yards for a couple of reasons. One, it did get the Seahawks back on track to, to playing the type of football we're used to seeing them play. Number two, Carolina secondary, we knew going in was an area that you could exploit down the field, and yet they did not go away from the running game just because there were some holes in the secondary, which is exactly what Green Bay has this week. If you take a look at the yards per play that the Packers are allowing, you know, on passing plays, I could see where it might be tempting to try to just chuck it it down the field, you know? But, yeah, I I think we'll see them – I think it'll look a lot like what they were trying to do last week. Again, I don't think we can go out and predict 500 yards and 240 rushing yards, but this is, you know, it's a similar, like you said, they, you know, they've been pretty good against the run this year. Their passing number is not great, but um, yeah, I just, I, I really think we've, what we've seen really the last three weeks now is a Seahawks offense finding some of that balance, getting some of the pieces back that help them get there. And that's going to probably look pretty good down the stretch. And that's, Going back to our conversation about finishing, a big part of that in the last few years has been the offense. You know, generally speaking, there's been some some different things, but this team has generally stayed pretty consistent defensively throughout a season. But you look at these years where they finish strong, it's when the offense gets going. And you know, whether that's a Russell Wilson thing or a system thing, or the fact they've had some offensive line turnover, so you're getting those guys together. Whatever it is, this offense tends to find itself around this time, and a big part of that we're seeing right now is the run game. Well, lots of people are looking at the Packers right now and wondering if they have found their mojo again because there was a point in time where you they just kind dead of in the water for yeah, a while you wrote the then, Packers yeah. off. The last couple of games, they're getting back to scoring points, putting up yards. The Packers have recorded 400 yards of total offense five times this season. They're also really good at converting on third downs. And in fact, in week 12, had the highest single-game third-down conversion rate In the NFL this year, part of that is because Aaron Rodgers knows how to make plays. What are we seeing in general from Green Bay? You know, like you just said, there there was that stretch where it was weird because Aaron Rodgers has been so good so long that when it was struggling for that four-game losing streak, it was was hard to wrap your head around, you know, if you weren't watching them really closely every game because you just look at Aaron Rodgers. Like, how, how is this offense not great? It's coming around, and it's, I mean, when you have that caliber, I mean, we're talking about, one of the great quarterbacks of this era, when you have that guy going, you've always got a chance to be good, and they've really started to figure it out. Their run game, you know, they've they've had a ton of different running backs and injuries and all that, so their their run game doesn't appear to be the threat, although when you have a quarterback who can scramble around, that's always a risk, especially if you're worried about him beating you with your arm and dropping guys in coverage and all that. So, you know, I, I don't think, despite whatever struggles they've had, I don't think this is an offense you can go into a game against without you have to think this is going to be a great test because that's what it probably will be and we've had so many great games against the Packers they have not been boring and just to highlight where this Packers team has come in the last couple of weeks they've scored 21 or more points in nine of their last 10 games which sounds impressive, and I'd like to remind folks that the Seahawks have not allowed that many points in the last three games. And, in fact, they've only allowed 21 or more points three times this season. So that'll be a great test of offense versus defense. And Aaron Rodgers has now thrown eight touchdowns in the last three weeks. So Kind of getting back to being Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers, it would Rodgers appear. looking like Aaron Rodgers. He and Jordy Nelson, who returns this year after a knee injury last year, have combined for 55 touchdowns in the course of their careers. That is the second most by a duo in team history behind Brett Favre 
and Antonio Freeman. So that's what we're looking at for the Packers. Last question for you before we wrap up this version of the Seahawks Insider Podcast, because we started with a couple of questions. And here is the last one for you. What's next for this team in terms of playoff positioning? Well, they can wrap up the division this week, actually, with a little bit of help. Uh, Miami is hosting the Cardinals, and it's earlier than the Seahawks game, so we'll know the result of that. Uh, If Miami wins, Seahawks can clinch with a win or a tie. Or if the Seahawks somehow have their second tie of the year, then they would need a loss. So the most likely scenario is you want a Miami win and a Seahawks win and you're NFC West champs. The bigger question now is that buy because you're you're looking at you've got a slight edge on Detroit right now for the two seed and obviously getting the buy in the home game in the divisional round would be huge for them and we're talking about a team that had us buy in week five so getting a week off in January would be very very helpful yeah Detroit's schedule does look a little tougher at least by the numbers going down the stretch the Seahawks as we pointed out here have a favorable schedule that is not of course overlooking the Packers but the Hawks do have a three-game lead over Arizona and as John pointed out if they do lock up that division title this week it'll be the third time they have done that in the last four years and it will keep them in perfect positioning to get that number two seed and a bye would be nice which i think wraps up kind of all of our questions for today i think so all right well in that case that'll do it for this week's edition of the seahawks insider podcast remember you can find many more of our podcasts on seahawks.com slash podcast make sure that you tune in to the game on sunday on the seahawks radio network and catch everything that john has to write on seahawks.com we will see you next week